Welcome to Digital First Leadership, the podcast that focuses on helping leaders and teams understand how to master the language of social media in today's digital first world. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Richard Bliss, and you're listening to Digital First Leadership. And today I'm joined by my co-host and guest today, Leah Bliss. Leah, welcome. Thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. You know, you have been the co-host at times, but this time we're here because this is a special episode to talk about you and to talk about something that you have done quite remarkable recently, and that is the publishing of a book. Published my first book. Very exciting. Tell us a little bit about that. What's it called and what's it about? So it's called Everything Is Your Fault, which I feel like is the perfect hook for everything that the book talks about. Everything is your fault. Understanding the six pillars to unlocking your bliss life. Ooh, I like that. That bliss life. You if I in. learned anything from my father, it's you have to put your name in everything you do. Well, only if your last name is bliss. Only uh, if your last name is bliss. Right. So the bliss life. So this idea. So this is fun. Yes, I am your father. But yes, you also are a member of our uh, Bliss Point team. Mm-hmm. And so as you read, as you wrote this, I found it intriguing because. I've known you your whole life. Yeah. Yes. And, and yet what something that every parent does is they approach a point where the child that they knew is far in the past and they have to come and reconcile the adult that they, that person has become. Yeah. So I that think was- that's your second adulthood. I think the first adulthood comes when you as the child recognize that your parents are just humans who make decisions that you are allowed to agree or disagree with. And then the second adulthood is when your children now become adults. Yes, they become adults. And in this case, you've written a, a book. It's a very adult book. And at, at this stage, especially because you, uh, you're you the mother of my eight-year-old grandson. And I appreciate you very much for that. You're welcome. Um, One and only grandkid. Yep. Favorite daughter. But we're talking about everything is your fault, right? Yes. And you talk about this bliss life. So let's let's dive into it. When you say everything is your fault, that comes across in some ways a bit negative. Yes. And I address that immediately in the book. Everything is your fault. That either fills you with pride because you look around at the life that you've created for yourself. And this is all my fault. And look at me. I did it. Or you look at all the things that you did that are your fault that you are not so proud of and you kind of wish you could blame on someone else. Got it. And that's one of the things I think you point out in the book is that being able to focus on this, oh, it's their fault, their fault. That's one of the key things that really you have to address, right? Is, yes. is, is taking ownership for that. Yes, radical accountability for your actions. And how do you, why... Hey, that does not come easy to people. No, it's not easy. No, nobody likes to, everybody wants to be the hero in their own story. Yes. And if, if you have to do radical accountability, you're sometimes the that, you're the villain. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that? Well, that's, that's a whole element of, of psychology and of just self-awareness. Um, and it's, I mean, you're, self-reflection. A lot of times it's called your shadow work or just elements of you that you're not necessarily very proud of. And I I often reference this concept of like your internal moral compass where yes, lawful good, right? Captain America, there's the rules. We follow the rules. That's lawful good. 
but there also comes a time when we have to really live within the sense of, if I look at the things that I'm doing, do I feel in or out of alignment with my internal moral compass? Am I doing things that when I think about them, they give me the ick, they give me the cringe because I know in my heart of hearts that that's not aligned with good? Or am I, for the most part, operating in my life in that direction, following that internal moral compass? And until you can reconcile with the parts of your life that give you the ick, that make you feel like, gosh, that's a regret because I did a bad thing. Even if it's not technically bad, even morally bad, if you feel bad about it, it's something we have to look at and say, okay, why did I do that? How can I move past feeling bad about it? Where can I give myself a lot of grace and love? And then just like we have to treat our own children with that childlike love and acceptance, we have to treat ourselves with that same childlike love and acceptance. Hey, you messed up. It's okay. I still love you. It's fine. But speaking to ourselves in that way feels, it feels uncomfortable and it's not very normal. We don't normally speak to ourselves that way. So it's a little bit of shift in how we view our past decisions and then start taking the opportunity to learn from those and make new decisions moving forward. Well, I love the fact that you use the term lawful good, uh, basically a D&D alignment uh, term. I love that. The, the, the alignment, I love that, right? You've got lawful good, you've got chaotic neutral, you've got chaotic evil and everything in between. You can be neutral good, you can be neutral evil. I love the Avengers ones because, right, Captain America, lawful good. He follows the rules. He knows what they are, right? Language. He's lawful good. (laughs) But then on the other hand, and I'd have to look up what, I mean, I'm sure dozens of people have assigned the characters, but then we've got like, like the Hulk, right? He's kind of like chaotic good. Right. Because he's not really following the rules, but he generally like is on the good guy side. And then Loki- yeah, Loki's chaotic, probably in the beginning, chaotic evil, right? Mm-hmm. But Thanos. Lawful evil. Lawful evil. He follows very specific rules. Yes. And he does very bad things. Yes, but it is a strict code that he lives by. You can bring in examples like Dexter, the serial killer series, right? He's right. got the code, but it's not necessarily like he's doing good, but it's right. his code, lawful evil. So in your book, everything is your fault. You identify uh, like six pillars, six yes. things that help you achieve this, what you call the bliss life. Yes. It's not the blissful life. No, bliss life, your bliss life. And the six pillars really represent six relationships that you have to maintain to keep balance within your bliss life. And if I think of it as, and I think of it as six pillars, kind of holding up your life. And if one of those pillars gets too tall or you neglect one of them, you start to tip and things begin to slide and you're not centered in your life. The six relationships. And when I train this or when I coach to this, I always ask someone, okay, what do you think the six most important relationships in your life are? 
And they say things like, well, my significant other, my kids, my parents, maybe my friends. And shockingly enough, that's only one of them. That's just the people in your life. But the six pillars, the first one is yourself. Rarely do people ever think of their relationship with themselves. Then it builds onto the relationship you have with your higher power, whether you're religious, spiritual, whatever. Even if you don't believe in a higher power, you can still believe in the highest version of yourself. And how do you build a relationship with the highest version of yourself where you are living that bliss life? And how do you reconcile with the information there? Or or a higher power for some people could be the environment or higher power could be society. Those could be possibly higher. I mean, it doesn't have to be an individual. It doesn't have to be God. It could be something more nebulous. Yes. Yes. Very nebulous. What is your relationship with your higher power? Um, I, I would argue that maybe society wouldn't be such a great one because for the most part, humanity, humanity, right. The greater good as an idea. Yes. Because really the relationship you build with your higher power is this tapping into greater goodness Yep. and building that. And then we have your tribe. And I broke your tribe down into kind of the five people you most surround yourself with. And then the larger collection of humans you interact with. And that's where you get the people start rattling off their, their spouse Mm -hmm. or their children or whatever. Right. But having, I mean, yeah. Think about who you spend the most time with, right? Is it your spouse, your children, even sometimes your coworkers that you've got good relationships with, but most, for the most part, it's people you choose to allow into your life. And how are your relationships with those people? Are they supportive of you? Are they, are you dragging them towards success with you? Like, take a look at that. And then it goes into kind of your network, which is your relationship with your career and then money and time management. Let's back up Uh, money because that's the, so your relationship with money. What do you mean by that? Um, In so Jen Sincero, she wrote, you are a badass and you are a badass at making money. She talks about the idea of the relationship with money being similar to a relationship with a good friend. And if you think about how are you spending time with someone or how are you spending your money? There's a reason that those phrases are so similar, because if you had a friend that you were always expecting to be around for a good time, but never investing in that friendship, you're going to lose that friendship because you're taking more than you're giving. And the same thing with money. If you are just using your money for fun, if you are not being responsible and investing your money, if you're not investing in the future of your money and your financial welfare and educating yourself on money, it's, it's not going to be a great relationship and you're always going to struggle to attract, find, and keep significant amounts of money in your life. Just like you would have difficulty attracting and keeping a significant person in your life. Correct. And then the last one that sounds, now that you said that the last one time sounds very similar. Yes. How are you spending your time? What do you do? Where are you frittering away time? I mean, I think all of us of a certain generation know that three hours later, how did I watch that many TikTok videos? I don't know. And I was talking to someone about this the other day that, well, how do you, how do you build these relationships? I mean, how, how can you even know how to build a relationship with time? 
And it comes down to awareness. If you don't know where your time or your money is going, if you don't know where you're going in your career and you just go from job to job to job, you're not going to be on any kind of path. You're just kind of floating. Interesting. Interesting. You know, uh, just for me recently, as I've sat down, sat down and just looked at, okay, as I've been reading the book, thinking about it, my bliss life comes a little easier for me uh, with the bliss name in there, but it did. It was, it was mostly the time and the money, the relationships are good, but that time thing. And I started realizing that, Hey, here are some certain things I want to do. And I, and I wrote down in my journal, okay, what are you willing to give up to get them? Because they're going to take time. They're going to take time and you have to, it's, you're not just going to find time. When people say I'll find the time, you think of like digging for quarters on the couch. Like you're not going to, you're not going to find time. And so that became an interesting uh, concept for me that, oh, I will give up this, this, and this all time based in order for me to accomplish this, this, and this, because that's where I want to spend my time. um, So if I was to ask you, I'm a generation that sitting in front of the TV was viewed as a waste of time. Sure. You're wasting your time. And then I was part of a generation that got older that sitting in front of a video game was viewed as a waste of time. Yes. So how do you address those? Are video games a waste of time? That's a, I have a personal strong dislike for video games. I find them to be a massive waste of time. However, I understand that and as I, and as I understand it, that the reward centers of the brain are triggered in such a way, and especially for men, whatever the chemical makeup that is different biologically for men than women, that men tend to have more fun and get a bigger dopamine hit when they are playing video games because of the reward cycle, which I get. Sometimes you just need to turn your brain off, take a dopamine hit, and then go about your day. But with everything, it comes down to, I mean, too much of anything is a bad thing. And so, yeah, if you want to spend 30 minutes after work playing video games and that's your de-stress time, love it. Do, do your thing. I'm never going to do it. I, video games make me seasick. I can't do it. The first person shooters, I, I can't do it. But once that moves into ruining the rest of your life, then yeah, anything's awful. I think that's yep. where the real term addiction comes in. Yeah. So, and so all of these is these, these pillars that you're talking about, because you could, addiction could happen as I'm looking at the list here, you could almost become addicted to all of them. Somebody who is yes. too self-centered. Yes. Somebody who's too caught up in their higher power. Now, I don't mean to be blasphemous here, but you do see those individuals who seem to have no concept of the reality of life and instead are, well, God will provide. Right. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Um, I thought he, right. We can you got to do the work. Don't you have to do the work? Don't you have to, isn't there some responsibility on your part? And then we can see the tribe too much time with your, your buddies or your your girlfriends, peers. Yeah. Workaholics, Mm -hmm. um, right. A a bad relationship money, Yeah, whether whichever direction it's going hoarding or yes, you save too much. You never allow yourself to spend your money and you're a stickler. You're a scrooge about it, or you're spending money with no regard for the tomorrow version of yourself and whether or not you're going to be in trouble. So all of these have a balance issue that comes into play here. 
that too far in either direction is going to topple that pillar, I guess is one way to look at that. Which, which brings that analogy. If one is far outweighed beyond the others, because you can't, you can't be both self-obsessed and a workaholic. A little bit you can, but if you're, a, if you're obsessed with self-development and you are always going to like self-development seminars and you're paying for these courses and you're doing all this stuff, you probably aren't also a workaholic. And you're definitely not three times obsessed with things. And so when one pillar starts to far outweigh the others, that, that tabletop of your life begins to tip and you can't have balance because Got one it. thing is so far extreme than the others. Now, another portion of the book that you go into that's very personal to me and obviously to you as well, and that is the execution on this, of bringing this all together to achieve specific things in your life. Correct. Goals. Let's talk about that. They're important. Oh, okay. Okay, let's move <laughs> on to the next topic. What, what, what part of goals do you want to talk about? Well, a lot of people don't like setting goals. A lot of people don't like setting goals, and I've been told because that leads just to disappointment. Well, yeah, if you disappoint yourself, it does. Well, because they didn't achieve it. They don't want to set a goal that they can't reach because then they're going to be disappointed. Or, hey, I can't dictate how my life's going to go. And so when I set a goal, it makes me think that somehow I'm in control and I'm going to tell my life where it's going to go. I hear all of these excuses of why people don't set goals. Yeah. I. And what's your take on that? Um, I mean, I just think that's BS. Like, oh, I can't do it. It's too hard. Like, get over yourself. Everything is your fault. If you can't do it, then it's because you didn't do it. Like, there's that's tough love there. But you know, yeah, I, you, you bring up an interesting point because language is so important here. Because if somebody says, I can't afford it, and I hear that sometimes, I can't afford that. And it, it might be a $100 purchase. I can't afford that. And I look at them and say, really? You can't afford that. You have a quarter of a million dollars in your 401k and you can't afford this $100 payment. Or is it you choose not to spend your money that way? Right. Because then it's not external. It's internal. It's not, oh, I can't because of external circumstances. It's internal. I choose not to because of my values or my goals. Now, now let's be fair to some of those people listening. You really might not be able to afford it. Yeah. But let's be clear that if you can't afford it, that it's legitimately, if it's a $10 purchase and you can't afford it, okay, then you need to think about it. And I have been in that situation where 20 bucks, I couldn't afford it. Yeah, makes or breaks you. But I, I used to work in retail and there would be women that came in and it was high-end retail. It was not an expensive store. And women would come in all the time and and barter and battle. And I think we all have horror stories from retail who've been in it, but to the degree where I would just think to myself, you can't say what you want to say when you work in retail, but it's like, really, you're going to fight me over $5 for a $90 jacket. Maybe you shouldn't be spending this money. If $5 is worth you fighting with me over, or if you're going to throw a fit because you can't combine your coupons and it's going to save you an extra 20 bucks on your $800 purchase. Maybe that's not worth you purchasing. 
maybe reassess what you're doing there. But that's, yeah, they don't want to, they don't want to hear that. No, nobody wants to hear that, but that's kind of what it comes down to. And we're using the money example specifically, but it's other things like, I can't work out. Oh, I can't work out. I can't work out really, because I'm pretty sure you own a patch of floor large enough to do push-ups on. I'm pretty sure that you could, unless you physically can't, you could jog around the block or walk around the block. Right. So, so I want to talk about, as we wrap up here, I want to focus on some takeaways, not just, okay, these pillars are great, but I want to get, but this is how I'm driven because I'm goal driven. I've had many people tell me that. What can I take away from your book that causes me to change my behavior and achieve some things that are important to me in life? What are the takeaways? Understanding that goals are two-step process. Okay. There is the plant. Most people get hung up on one or the other, the planning step and the execution step. And I'm, I'm a big planner. I'll plan my goals. I'll figure out exactly what I'm going to eat every day, how much I'm going to exercise the, my to-do list. But when it, and that's great. I have my plan. I made the plan. Look at me. I've been working so hard at making a plan but how much progress have you made towards that plan? Have you taken action on any of those plans that you've made? On the other hand, people that just are like, I'm going to go for it. And they just do the thing with absolutely no plan. And that's where a lot of people get burned out. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to get in shape, right? New year, new me. I really hate that, but new year, new me. I'm just going to start working out. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to eat right. But that's really the whole plan. I'm going to work out and eat right. And then I'll be healthy. And it's the marriage of the two. You have to understand that you need to make a little bit of planning in order to set those road, those, those checkpoints, right? Oh, Hey, milestones, those milestones. I went to the gym every single day for a week. That's a win. I'm going to take that win. I'm going to run with it. No pun intended. And then you can start to see and maintain the motivation to keep going towards that larger goal, but you can't just plan it. You have to execute on it. You have to actually do the thing that you planned on doing. And what prevents people from uh, executing on that? What, what are the, what are some, what are some of those roadblocks that prevent people from taking that step to achieve the balance in the pillars to achieve those goals? What gets in their way? So the inability to deconstruct the very basic habits that are going to get them there. In the book, I go into how to reverse engineer your life because you have to identify how you want to feel. You want to feel healthy, organized, and stress-free. Okay. What kind of person is healthy, organized, and stress-free? All right. What does that kind of person do every night before bed? What does that kind of person do every morning? And identify less with what do I need to do, but identify more with who do I want to be? And I asked, yeah, I asked a couple of kids this the other night, I was hanging out with my son. I said, Hey, what do you, who do you want to be when you grow up? And they're like, what, what you mean? What do I want to be? No. Who do you want to be? Because you get to it's, that is a different question. What do you want to be when you grow up? instead of who do you want to be? What type of person? What goals and activities and daily habits and small idiosyncrasies 
make up that complete person that you want to be. I think this has been an awesome conversation about this because it is. Who do we want to be is the ultimate answer, ultimate question that we all need to answer, uh, no matter what stage we're in our life. Just starting off as an eight-year-old, uh, my grandson, or approaching uh, you're a senior. Even if, you know, my mother, who's uh, not quite 80, she could ask that same question, right? We all are at some stage. Who do we want to be? Because who we are in the past does not dictate who we'll become in the future. Correct. I always say you are one decision away from a completely different life. Oh, I like that. We're going to end on that. You are one decision away from a completely different life. You can find the book on Amazon or the Bliss Point website. Uh, the book is called Everything is Your Fault. Understanding Everything. the Six Pillars to Unlocking Your Bliss Life. By Leah Bliss, a member of the Bliss Point team. Leah, thank you so much for being my co-host and guest today on Digital First Leadership. Thank you. You've been listening to Digital First Leadership. Leah Bliss has been our guest and she's been talking about Everything Is Your Fault. Her book that you can find on our website, blisspointconsult.com or find it on Amazon by typing in Bliss Point Press, where you'll find all the books that we publish from our team of Bliss Point employees here. Thank you for listening. Take care. You've been listening to Digital First Leadership, the podcast where you learn to leverage and build your expertise on digital platforms. For more valuable tips on mastering the language of social media, subscribe to our newsletter at blisspointconsult.com. If you'd like to stay in touch, feel free to add Richard on LinkedIn and join the conversation.